Stephen Worley started his show, Life Skills That Matter, in 2016, but he's been working on himself since he was laid off election day in the year 2000. You see, since then, he's been obsessed, and I mean obsessed, with researching and experimenting alternative ways of working. And what I love about Stephen is he was born to interview. In fact, he's probably one of the most inquisitive people I've ever met. With over 350 episodes under his belt, he dissects the most important life skills that are rarely, if ever, taught. So this episode is a bit different. It's less about the inner workings of being a podcaster and more about how to lead a productive life, either as an entrepreneur or, in his case, a solopreneur. So we talk about topics like self-awareness, building habits, and understanding biorhythms so that we can prepare ourselves and equip ourselves to be as productive as possible. I'm super excited to share this conversation, so let's jump right into it. Stephen Worley, thanks for being on For the Love of Podcast. I am so thrilled to be here, Billy. Is it okay if I have a little bit of this Pez? And the reason I ask is if Pez has a special place in your heart, and if so, why? Oh my gosh, you are an amazing researcher. (laughs) Where did you pull out this nugget from? I can't reveal my secrets. Wow, so why Billy's asking about Pez? Because I am from the town where Pez is made. Plastic toys are made in China, but the candy is made in Orange, Connecticut, outside of New Haven. Yeah. I appreciate that. You know, I love saying that to everybody because everybody knows Pez. Even if I'm in another country, I always like to whip out the packaging. You see where this made? Totally. I had no idea. And it's such a random thing. It's you think like, I don't know, Pez, it would be like in the Midwest or something, but not like (laughs) Connecticut. (laughs) By the way, folks, great lesson. Billy's just giving you a great lesson here, people. I'm going to like not let you walk away from this one. Great podcasts. Great research. A lot of times you have to like either know your audience or like know the guests or there's all different ways to do research, but that was a super nice touch. Thank you, first of all. And and yeah, I completely agree. I think it's something that often gets overlooked because people are running so fast. They're trying to bang out so many interviews and I respect that. In fact, I think there's a part of me that's like, should I pare that down a little bit? Because I go so into the research, which does take a lot of time. We were just having a conversation about how long an interview should be. Mm-hmm. So let's just start there because I mean, it's, it's top of mind. When you think of your time frame and how long your podcast should be, do you have a goal or an intention behind what the length should be? Or what do you use to create that framework? The word should is one of the worst words in the entire English language because it immediately makes you feel like, You don't have a choice in this, right? Mm -hmm. And you have to live up to somebody else's standards. So anybody who knows what I'm all about, I'm all about you doing your thing. Create work that works for you around your values, your methods, your abilities. So my very Stephen Worley answer is like, really doesn't matter. How long do you want it to be? How long does your Mm -hmm. audience want it to be? What feels right to you? Now, the kind of conventional way that people would say it's like, well, a lot of research shows right, right now that everybody likes these really short podcasts. But if that's not your thing and that doesn't feel right to you, don't do it. The people who are into your method are going to come to you. I personally keep ours around 30 to 40 minutes, but sometimes it just, it's an amazing conversation and it just like rolls along for an hour. I'm cool with that. You know why? Because we have all these tools before we forget. It's a little bit of kind of a legacy mentality, but everybody has control over this. 
They can double time it, triple time it, however fast they want to go. They could skip over things. They have control over this. So they get to decide how long or how much they want to listen to. I mean, there are people who listen to like what Tim Ferriss does. He do like two-hour podcasts. That's right. Yeah. That's like an afternoon <laughs> that you're, you're spending with Tim Ferriss. Or that's like back when we all commuted. That's like four morning commutes. I feel like we keep ours around 30 minutes because I think it's like enough. I like energy. I like a pace. Mm. I feel like it's enough for people like, okay, I heard enough from that person. But I I like to kind of pack it in and as you will see, because you're going to be on my show, just to kind of keep that rhythm going along a little bit. It makes sense. And to your point, I don't know the last time that I listened to a podcast at normal speed or an audiobook for that matter. I frankly, it sounds weird when it's normal speed and everybody's got their own thing. They got their own thing in terms of how they produce shows. They got their own thing in terms of how they listen to shows. You had your own thing before you got into the entrepreneur world, which is you really didn't think you would be an entrepreneur. You call yourself a reluctant entrepreneur. And it wasn't until the year 2000, day of election, that all of a sudden this world opened up. But even then, it took several years for you to get comfortable becoming an entrepreneur. Talk a little bit about that journey and why you were reluctant. What conditioning existed that prevented you from embracing entrepreneurship? You are freaking me out, man. I've had a lot of podcasts. You are the one who's like really done his homework. You know what I mean? Thank you. I just wanted to tip off here. Like just you're an amazing example of how to do good research for a podcast. I think I'm like a lot of people. I mean, did you always know that you wanted to work for yourself? Did you? You know, it's come in waves. I was more shocked that I went the corporate route. That was what surprised me more. Ah. Because I was the kid selling blow pops in junior high. See, I wasn't. I know you weren't. And that's what was interesting. I know you weren't that guy. I know. And you know what's so weird? But looking back, I was taught to be an employee like most people. Most of us like fall under the spell of like follow sure. the directions. Somebody else knows better than you do. Just like keep checking all these boxes and then you'll be taken care of, you know, and you'll have the mm -hmm. American dream, which all turned out to be a nightmare to me. Like American dream. No, thanks. I want to do it my dream. <laughs> and I think that's what the American dream is, or that should be the new American dream. Do your thing. So I got laid off election day 2000. I was part of the dot-com bust. Previously, I would describe the first five years of my career working in television news in New York City. I worked at CBS News Sunday Morning and CNBC. Ended up working at this dot-com that was partly owned by CBS at the time. So I know I feel very Gen X of like, I got laid off in the dot-com bust. I feel like you're a millennial if you get laid off in like the re Great Recession of 2008. We all have our recessions to like remember our careers by. So I was thrown out. I always kind of felt, now I really should have listened to myself. I'm such a big believer of listening to your gut, your inner voice, your mm -hmm. feelings, your emotions should have a seat at your decision-making table. I think we're always so over-prioritized the rational part of our decision-making process. And I was a good employee and I had accomplishments and that sort of thing, but it was always done in such chronic anxiety. <laughs> Mm. And that just does not feel great. And I think there's a lot of people who do feel like that. Or a lot of people are like, why am I so anxious? And we always feel like it's our fault. Now, we all have personal responsibility over ourselves, but it's the system. I always remind people, this entire system was not designed for you. Mm. It's designed for the needs of corporations. Mm. That's where they start from. Like when Elon Musk built Tesla, where you came from, I'm sorry, he was not thinking about, I want to make sure that Billy has the best experience here. He's thinking about his investors first. And that's just, that's how capitalism totally. works. Totally, yeah. It just is. It's, it's not like it's demonizing or anything. It's just the nature of this system that we have created and bought into. So I still think there is a path where this is a whole other side episode, possibly. I think there's definitely a path. There's many different versions of what I think capitalism could be. I'm hopeful that we can move in that direction, kind of more of a self-managed communities using the internet rather than large concentrations of power just all in Silicon Valley or New York, et cetera. Mm.
So get kicked out. I kind of saw it coming. We did see it coming. Even then, I just immediately got my resume ready. And like, where's my next job? Because I was so used to like swinging from job to job in the New York media world. Everything was great until it wasn't. It was like Tarzan, like, oh, and then <laughs> just fell off the vine, like flat on my face. <laughs> and it was like month after month, no job. Yikes. I had five different versions of my resume, applying all these jobs, anything I could. And I ended up getting a call back. I was living in Hoboken, New Jersey at the time. Mm. I got a call back from a firm in Greenwich, Connecticut. It was a healthcare communications firm. Went for an interview, went really well. They needed help producing a CD. I'm now going to date myself, a CD-ROM. <laughs> pharmaceutical company that was coming out with some new website for doctors. So they wanted to have like actors using this website and showing people how to use it. How like 20 years ago does that sound, right? Times have changed, my friend. Times have changed. I feel like an old seasoned veteran <laughs> of the internet sometimes, you know? How many people could say they've been on the internet for 20 years, like working on the internet for 20 years? I know, it's true. It's true. They were going to pay me $300 a day. It was like more money per day I'd wow. ever made to that point in my career because we're also always taught to think in terms of salary. That is like the thing you want mm-hmm. to achieve, salary. Like who cares how many hours you have to put in, but it's the salary. I've now learned as somebody who works for themselves, it's all about your hourly rate. You want that hourly rate going up. Who cares how much money you're making at the end of the year? You want to make sure that you're making the most efficient use of your time right now. So that was kind of my first step to take the scenic route to this story of how I started becoming exposed to the idea of working for myself. I think working in the internet and Actually, I would go out to San Francisco to the where the company was headquartered quite a bit. And that started kind of challenging my thinking about like, oh, there's other ways of working. And it really spoke to me. My inner voice is like, we are not meant to work for somebody else. Mm. And there's all these new ways of doing it. I'm just a really curious person. I just kept going from one question to the next. And I still do that today. And I love that curiosity, my friend. I think that's one of the most endearing traits in anybody. And it's clear to me that you and I both love being in this curious space and just absorbing as much as we can. You had this job and it gave you a taste. You say working for yourself. And one of the things that I really keyed in on as I began to look more and more into the work that you do, and obviously our first conversation was being a solopreneur and, and mm. making make that distinction. And I think for the podcasters that listen to this show, many of them fall into this category of they're doing it all themselves. And you've said, and I really curious about this, is that you actually strive to avoid having employees. Mm. You would prefer to give people assignments. You'd prefer to give them some jobs to do and things of that nature. And you're not afraid to outsource certain tasks. Talk a little bit about what your methodology is when it comes to making sure that you're not trying to do everything as a solopreneur, because I think that could be potentially a misstep, but maybe not. And also as a solopreneur slash podcaster, what do you outsource or what do you think should be outsourced should, or what do you think good ideas of things that could be outsourced for the listener to maybe get some ideas of ways to channel what they're best at, but maybe not do all of the things that they could be doing. I fell into that, right? I mean, that term solopreneur did not exist when I was even laid off. And I still think in the world of entrepreneurship, it's still kind of confused of what that term means. The way I define it is self-employment is what of solopreneurs. When you're a self-employed person, you're just trading your minutes for dollars. It's like you've created a job for yourself. You still have to go get the work and then do the work. So a consultant, a coach. A solopreneur is somebody who's starting to use entrepreneur qualities of creating systems, using automation, 
outsourcing to people. So that way you are creating a system that's earning you money, not whether you are directly having to do the work or not. Exchanging time for money. It's a, it's right. a distinction between exchanging your personal time for money versus creating some kind of system. And I know you're big into SOPs, which we'll talk about that, but some sort of system that leverages, to your point, automation, yeah. outsourcing, and earning a number of things. I think that's a really good distinction. Okay. And then an entrepreneur to me is anybody who is going to take investment money, whether it's from a bank or investors or even friends and family. That's when you're moving into the world of being an entrepreneur and you want to immediately from day one build a team. It's a much larger system. Mm-hmm. I personally don't have any interest in that. Maybe because I came up initial wave of the dot com and it was like so bogus <laughs> how so many of those companies were still structured and they still are today. Day. So many of these companies, mm. investors keep throwing all kinds of money at and they don't make a profit. And it's kind of a weird version of capitalism. It's very kind of an oligarchy. It's a very advanced oligarchy to me. Am I? Mm. Again, that's a whole other podcast episode. But bringing back things to being a solopreneur, I mean, I think I fell into that because there's so many tools right now that can do the work for you. Like the U.S. Census has information. I think it was the 2016 to 2017 showing a significant uptick in the number of single founder businesses making over $100,000 a year mm. and making over a million dollars a year. Amazing. And I believe that's because we're starting to see the adoption of automation. Whereas back in the day, our parents, if you wanted to be your own business, it'd be some main street business. You'd be doing all the work yourself. In my previous business, did sales training. I was helping uh, local radio and television broadcasters sell more advertising. So I had a huge online archive of 600 videos, 35 trainers. I would do my own consulting. I would do my own speaking gigs. We had a team of four, but they were all independent contractors because I wanted them to be our primary revenue stream. So they would have loyalty to the team, but I wanted them to have their own projects. And I wanted them to help create their own business because I believe everybody should have multiple revenue streams. Why depend on me? Number one, I don't want you to depend on me because that, that's a freaky, like I'm responsible not just for my life, but the lives of yeah. others. That's a whole other level. I wanted them to know like, hey, I'm going to be your biggest client, but let's help you get some other kinds. So that way, and then eventually I did go away for some of them because I moved on. I would say automation also is not always has to be one of the first pieces of automation I used had really nothing to do with technology. It was just creating a frequently asked questions page that before mm. one of our clients okay, I, I like it. earned the privilege of sending us an email, we said, can you just look at these 10 questions first? And then ask us a question. And that dramatically reduced the amount of times, like the same questions they're asking over and over again. So that's what I think of automation as step one is anybody listening to us, if you're starting out, like you could be curious about automation, but don't try to immediately adopt it because you don't even know what you're building yet. You don't even know what's going on there. Do yet. it yourself first. Give yourself a you chance. You got to do the handmade version first. It's yeah, just like yeah, yeah. any person who's ever made a beauty product or a good that went on to like being sold in every grocery store in America, they started in their kitchen. Mm-hmm. So do the handmade version first, and then you can kind of see what your habits or your process are. And then you can start to see like what tasks are really repeatable. I could either outsource that to somebody or I can automate it. So there's kind of a quick little framework that I use with people. So if you have been working for yourself and you're tired, that's the moment you know to really start automating is when you've been working for yourself kind of in a self-employed capacity. And you're like, I'm tired of chasing after the work and doing the work. Things are good, make a lot of money, but I'm on the verge of burnout. And that's Mm -hmm. when you know it's time to become a solopreneur. (laughs) And you make a big old list of all your tasks, all your responsibility, everything you're doing to run your business. And then the first thing you do is eliminate. What is stuff that you just don't need to do that you thought you did do because the early days of your business, you heard from somebody, but you never took the time to stop. 
especially in our day and age, is we have to learn to stop more and reflect because we just keep adding more and more stuff. Like Americans think the only way to change is to add. Mm-hmm. I am a big believer in subtraction. Yeah, no, I'm with you, man. To like have space to grow. So the first thing to do is eliminate. I actually look at my to-do list, you know, maybe once or twice a month and I challenge myself to remove stuff because I'm like, you are just making work up for yourself, Stephen. You don't need to do this right yeah. now. <laughs> Step two is delegate. You're like, well, Stephen, I'm working for myself right now. What are you talking about? Delegate. Who can I get delegated to? You can actually delegate work back to your clients. You could delegate or maybe you have a partnership with a friend and you just have complimentary skills and you could be delegating work to each other in that way. There's lots of different ways to do this. When I was back at CBS News Sunday morning, when I was 23 years old, there's all this task that I didn't want to do. People asked me to send faxes and teach them how to use Word. Again, I'm dating myself. So I made this whole list of stuff. I'm like, how am I going to get this stuff off my plate? Mm. So I brought somebody in from headquarters, one of the trainers, like how to use Word and Excel. And I had them, can you come here to our conference room? Because they won't. And I had directions and how to do all this stuff. This person has no authority. I was able to delegate stuff back upwards to say like, mm-hmm. you guys, you should be allowed to do this. And I was very nice about it. So we've talked about eliminating, talked about delegating, automating, go throw whatever it is, like this random task that you don't want to do and like throw it into Google, throw it into Zapier and just say like, is there an app for this? Is there a tool for this? There's a software for this? Like, does anyone know how I can automate this? And I'm telling you with every passing month, there's a freaking tool for it. It, it blows my mind. It, it, it's amazing. It's like, no. yeah, it's insane. I'm almost uh, like, what? I, I guess I, and I'm here. I am. I'm nervous about, is there going to be any work left for humans? Sometimes I'm like, what are we going to do? <laughs> I mean, I have a folder in my inbox that says automated life and it's all my automated program software tools that I use because as you said, they're just coming left and right. And I think sometimes it's just the things like I'm a big believer in listening to your feelings, things to automate again. It's just, what am I doing over and over again that I could do for much lower cost? I am such a big believer in understanding your hourly rate. Again, who cares about your salaries, that hourly rate? We have a lifestyle calculator. Can I do a shameless plug right now? Yeah, please, 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 please. If you have no idea how much your lifestyle costs or so the one that you really want to live, go to lifeskillsthatmatter.com slash calculator, download our free calculator, and you can understand how much money do I really need to make? Because the people that we deal with, really very counterintuitive. I know the big first wave of the internet is all about how to make as much money as possible as fast as possible. Turns out a lot of the people that we work with could care less. Mm-hmm. They're like, I just want to make $75,000 a year. I want to make $125,000 a year. How do I do that? And how do I do it like in 30 hours a week and doing something I'm kind of good at or I'm really interested in getting better at? Like, sure, we can do that because we often over forget, overlook our resources beyond money, our time, our attention and our energy. They're so limited. And the funny thing is you need to focus your attention, energy, and your time to make connections, to acquire knowledge, to get freaking money. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Back to automation. So just look for those things that you're like bored. It's just repeatable. And I was having a conversation with an old friend of mine, helping him with this process. Like I'm looking at outreach. He has a really awesome fundraising job at a university in New York, really successful. But he's like, I want to do outreach different. And I'm like, well, tell me, how do you set up meetings? He's like, oh, I email them. And I'm like, go back and forth and somebody cancels and blah, blah, blah. And it's so annoying, right? He's like, yeah. And I'm like, you need a scheduler. And so I was telling them that this concept of like, you just send somebody a link, they see your availability, they pick, you could even put questions to kind of like prep them and get them in the mindset of what is it you want to talk about in your call. They'll send reminders and if they need to reschedule, they can do it automatically. You just don't have to do that ping pong match again on email about setting up a meeting. And it's some one of those small things. Like yeah, I could never they, go they back. 
What's an automation that you do that you're like? Well, I just found Podscribe. I don't know if you're using them, but no. not that I would hand do my transcription, but I'm going to give them a plug because I love their service. It's They went and backlogged my entire catalog, did transcriptions for everything. So I now, all I have to do is to put an embed code on my site and automatically I get transcriptions for every episode. I don't have to do anything other than copy that particular code and I've hired a VA to do that. So I, mm-hmm. I delegated that. People think that work is email. And it's, I'm a big believer in inbox zero and I use rules and I have everything automatically populate to certain folders because I'm going to have 10 emails that don't matter if I could skim those quickly. And then the ones that do matter, they go to my inbox and then I sort through them. So I automate my email through rules and things, filters and things going to specific folders. That's been tremendously helpful. Can I tell you what I did in my 2020 initiative about email? I love that you said it. It's communication. It's not work. Mm -hmm. Like if you, the first action that you do every day at work is to go to your email inbox. You're asking for other people to tell you what to do. 100%. That's, you're basically giving up your day for whatever other people think is most important. And then you supplant all the other things that you thought were important that you said, I'm going to get this done. These are my top priority items. Those just go sideways because this is a theme that you have. It's like you're living your life the way other people expect you to live your life or trying to keep up with the Joneses. But one thing I really want to touch on because- But can I just say one really quick thing about my email? Sorry, sorry, sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go for it, man. I'm not looking at email. I'm not going to do it. This is what I'm going to do. So my sister is my business partner. She's building all of our systems. And it's like one of the tasks that I'm like, I don't want to do this. I want to communicate. I love communicating. I love creating content. I want to be there for people, but I have limited bandwidth and mm-hmm. email is just not where I want to put it. Like people who send four Word document worth pages of email, I just, I can't read that. So what we're doing is she will look at my email every day. She's going to monitor it just twice a day. Anything that is timely that I really need an answer that day, she's going to alert me on our Trello board. So I don't even go into the email. Anything that is not timely want answered by the end of Friday, she snoozes it and it gets delivered to my email inbox 8 a.m. on Fridays. And just on Fridays now, I'm going to bang all my emails all at once. Done. There's the timely ones. I will deal with those on Trello as they come up. Usually like a, something with like we're the podcast interview or something like that. It's just such a time suck. And having been in a corporate environment more recently than you, only a year and some months ago, I found that so many people were glued to their email as if that were their job description to check email all day. Hold on a second. (laughs) Right? I know. It's crazy. That is a rule with me because we're going to have a drink one day. Oh, if for sure. you look at your mobile phone while we are having a drink. Oh, I hate that, dude. Your stock price is going to go down with me, man. Unless it's like your family. Okay, I understand. Man, I'm with you, man. When people aren't engaged because of their devices, and often it's because of social media or email or a notification, just crazy. You know what's fun as a confidence booster? I love sitting in public at a bar or anything and just talking to people now. Because people don't do it anymore. Yeah. Like they almost don't know what to do with it. And because everybody is so uncomfortable with doing it, I've become more comfortable doing it. I have like <laughs> no insecurities about talking to strangers anymore. Yeah. And it's so fun. You meet the most amazing people and people are craving it. They just need somebody else to start it. I, like you, am a massive, and I mean massive believer in the power of self-awareness. As a parent, like the two things that I'm really, I try to instill in my son, amongst a lot of other things, but two, what I'll call life skills, which we'll we'll talk about in a minute, is self-awareness and confidence. My son Mm. gets a little bit dry, and so I'm a big believer in that confidence will play its role in so many parts of our life that we need to think about that. But let's put that on the table. Let's talk about self-awareness, because your show is about life skills. And I guess to set the stage, give us 
just the distinction mm. of life skills versus call it hard skills yeah. that somebody would need to learn. What are those differences and why is self-awareness so high on the list in terms of importance? I love these questions. Well, because we don't talk about it. And mm. I feel like I'm at a point in life where I'm enraged oh. that I was not systematically taught anything <laughs> that has everything to do with my happiness and my success. You should take priority over all the other stuff we learned. <sighs> It's unimportant if we don't focus on this part, the self-awareness piece first. So yes. We have a friend of the family. She was very high up in like education department in Florida. And I said, when should we start teaching self-awareness? She's like kindergarten. (laughs) (laughs) I I feel so good to hear that somebody who was in the system so long feels that way. Everything that we're going through right now, I refer to this as a moment where we are living in a permanent state of accelerated change. So what that means is everything's changing. And that is everything changing, but everything's changing faster and faster. Just look at your life five years ago, 10 years ago. I feel like I'm an 80-year-old man talking in this. And I've already said, like, I'm dating myself. And it was only 20 years ago that I talked about using (laughs) fax machines and teaching people how to use Word. But that's how fast things are changing. And then people are like, well, what does that feel like? And I'm like, well, you just live through it, everyone. It's called 2020. And I know we're not going to be living in a pandemic forever, but this is kind of what it's going to be like. There's going to be just other things that are going to be really disruptive really fast. So in order to deal with this change, I believe you are the constant in that. You need to know yourself for yourself. You can learn from other humans. It's great. We pass on information as much as I like to rail against the whole following directions things like directions are super useful. Like it makes it easier for the next human to like not to figure it all out, but we can, we can figure out how to make it better. It's okay to question things. I often tell people that, life skills or these soft skills that we think are like, oh, that's nice to have, or we don't like them because they're not easily quantifiable, but they're more durable than hard skills. Because people ask me all the time, people are like, Stephen, what is the skill I can learn that's giving me an income for like the next 20 years? And I'm like, self-awareness. I should like start getting facial reactions because people are like, gosh, I thought you would have said coding. We don't know that that you're going to need to do that 20 years from now. It might be automated by then. Who knows? Although I think it's something worth learning. I'm not saying not to learn these different things. You can't think that. My point is you can't think that way anymore. I'm in midlife here. I'm 46 years old and I'm still learning new things from scratch and that will never end. You and I probably were taught that there was going to be a period in our career that we were going to get to coast. That's not happening. There's no coasting. We could take breaks to restore and replenish, but there's no coasting unless you really want to check out because the second you check out, you're going to fall behind super fast and it's going to be harder and harder to get back in. And that also, that's a whole other podcast episode. How many people are falling behind? And I sadly Mm -hmm. not sure that they're going to be able to catch up. So I want to ask you now, I mean, so that's my why I had this naive idea. Like I want to teach people how to start a business using life skills because all these other mechanical things you can learn and teach, but you really got to like the three most important life skills are self-awareness, curiosity, and connection to me. Mm -hmm. And that's how you know how to learn or what you want to learn about or what gets you excited. So before I lay into my definition of self-awareness, how do you define it? First, let me say that the enduring quality of those things self-awareness, curiosity, connection. To your point, all of the hard skills in the world have no long-term value, reality. Not anymore. You're always going to have to learn hard skills. There are going to be things that are going to look like that, but they're always going to be changing. So I would define it to answer your question. I would say understanding why I do the things that I do, what is the reason that I do the things that I do, and having the ability to reflect on my actions, behaviors, and thoughts and how they ultimately manifest themselves in my actions and what I do. So that would be my definition. We are a brother from another mother. I just even simulate it's knowing yourself for yourself. 
Mm-hmm. I think sometimes I want to talk about a little bit about the process of what self-awareness is, because I think sometimes people confuse it with judgment, self-judgment. Self-awareness for me is observation of yourself. It's as if we got to another version of Billy and he got to float over us right now. And he's just going to watch this going on here. And at the end, he's just going to say to you, Billy, just like, hey, this is what I noticed. Here's what I observed. Okay. And you're going to be like, okay. The idea here is be able to observe yourself, your actions, your habits, and ask yourself, I said I wanted my life to go in this way, or I wanted to do this thing. Did those actions and habits bring me any closer? The bender I went on last night, is that going to help me build my business? Maybe if you're in the wine business or the spirits business, I don't know. (laughs) The point is I'm making here is don't judge yourself. This is not about this is good and this is bad. You have choices. You have actions you could have taken. Which of those actions are bringing you toward where you want to go and which ones aren't? That's all. Mm -hmm. And what I love about that is it just takes the shame out. It takes the whole that emotional judgment stuff out. So it's crucial that you just start building a habit of observing yourself. Two quick exercises I would suggest. First one is just notice when you react. You have snap reaction. Mm -hmm. We all do. Even like the nicest person in your life has gut reactive moments. And that doesn't necessarily mean it's always anger or it's always sadness. It could be excitement. It could be joy. I mean, there's just like, when do you just feel like your brain gets short-circuited and you just react? Start being aware of that. Mm -hmm. And then the next step is start being aware of like, why did I react? Why didn't I stop to say, hold on a second? Maybe there was another way I want to react. And just start having that conversation. You're going to learn so much about yourself. And by the way, that exercise kind of never goes away. You can't unsee it. No. Once you start to see it. You're like, gosh, wow. Yeah, I did do that. Like a muscle. But you learn about yourself. The second exercise is if you can is I'm a big believer in having a writing daily habit. Mm-hmm. To write daily, journal, I know if I say that word, walls are going to go up. I don't care how you do this, but you want to either ask yourself a certain like three to five questions every day. You want to just free write. You just want to write about like what went right today, what didn't go so well, what are my strongest positive feelings, what were my strongest negative feelings. The idea here is that as you keep writing and getting this stuff out of your head, you can start going back on looking at this stuff. You're going to start seeing patterns and trends in your thinking that are happening below your conscious mind. And that's the stuff that you really want, but you don't ever talk to your inner voice. And this is a way to do it. Mm. And when you start seeing those patterns, then you can ask other questions like, it's so funny. I keep writing about this thing or this person. I wonder why. What's going on with that? I always tell people who come into our accelerator program, like, you already know what you want to do. They're like, I do. And I'm like, yep, you know exactly what you want to do. You're just not listening to your inner voice. And that's the other thing. We've over-prioritized our rational executive function of our prefrontal cortex Mm -hmm. at the expense of like the second area of your body that has the most nerve endings after your brain is your gut. Mm. They call it like the second brain. There's a reason why we have a colloquial saying of like, go with your gut, feel your gut. It's a thing. So that's how I would start to know yourself. There's times where like we've all been in the situation where like with friends, we're kind of going along with it. And all of a sudden you're like, this doesn't feel right or I don't want to do it. But we still go with our friends and we don't have the greatest time. And we're pulling ourselves out of alignment. Got to listen to that. It was funny. Today it happened. I was just going for a walk. I'm in Florida visiting my family for Christmas. All of a sudden, Billy, I looked up like some other part of my ring. Boom. What do I see? Probably at another 30 feet was a five to six foot alligator. Saw that. I listened. My gut said to look up. Whoa. Turned around. I think these are these other parts of our brain that, again, we're the last person that we want to believe or trust, but there's only one expert of you and it's yourself. And I often tell people it's like the most important subject in life that's never taught to is how to learn about yourself. And you do that through self-awareness. 
I'm loving this. This is like right up my alley. If you're a podcaster, if you're a solopreneur, if you're an entrepreneur, there is one thing that is common amongst all of these things is that each one of us is the only you. You say this and I completely agree with this, which is why would we try to pretend to be someone else when that's our differentiating factor? The system that we're in works when we conform, which is the funniest thing. I love America. What do we always say? We're so proud of our freedom and our independence, but we are the biggest bunch of conformists. We grew up in a system that we were taught that is more valuable to fit in. You don't want to stand out. You don't want to look different because then life's going to be hard, right? What I tell people now is our mass market is disintegrating into infinite niches. So it is now becoming more valuable just to be yourself. If you try to be somebody that you're not, you're going to get lost to the noise in the crowd and forgotten about. And this is not about being different for the sake of being different. You got to do that self-awareness work and just find out like, yep, this is who I am. This is how I do things. And that's all right. And I tell people, it's almost like you had like a crank, like a battery crank on a light bulb. The more that you can lean into your values and your needs and build that self-awareness muscle, the brighter that bulb will become. Your energy vibe just gets sharper and more vibrant and stronger. And the people that are really into how you do your work and your approach are going to be attracted to you. But if you try to be somebody else, you're never going to get that bright bulb and that light because it's not you. You're trying to steal somebody else's energy. And that's, you're just not going to be able to do that. So I want to talk about a couple of things, but I want to talk about self-management, which ties that in perfectly. And I want to talk about micro niches Mm. getting deep. But before we do, I don't want to leave the topic of self-awareness, specifically like what action steps or methodology have you found most effective? And I love that you said self-observant, by the way. I think it's really probably even a better description and self-awareness has become this buzzword. Mm -hmm. It's like all it's vulnerability, authenticity, all these words, journaling, meditation, all these words get thrown around and people's eyes gloss over because they've heard it a million times. So how do we become more self-observant? How do we do that? What's one thing that you want to change in your life or you want to get more curious about? Or you have a limiting belief that you want to challenge yourself on or one of your friends is like, you should lean into that. Or they smile, right? There's always like people around us who know us a little bit better than ourselves sometimes because we have blinders on it. We don't want to see things. So I would start with like, What's something you really want to do when you feel like it's not happening, it's holding you back, or it's something that you want to get more curious about yourself in your life? Or why do I even believe this thing? What is that? And then, so that's step one. What is like something you want to get more curious about in terms of yourself? And this is not being selfish. You're just informing yourself about yourself. We all need to do this work. Let's role play a little bit. I've been wanting to make more YouTube videos for four years. I'm a filmmaker. I've let other things take Mm. priority. Let's say that's the one thing I want to get more curious on. I want to dive more deeply into the world of creating visual video content and putting it on YouTube. So you're saying determine something that you want to be doing that you're not. I think it's always because you need to have a little like, why? Why am I doing this? A Mm -hmm. lot of folks might be listening to us and be like, I want to work for myself. I just don't know where to start. Or I have no idea what Mm -hmm. I want to do with my life. These are great prompts to like start a self-awareness practice. So my next question is, we want to document this somehow. There's a variety of writing habits you can use. You can just do a long free form. You can do an audio memo. You can doodle if you want, whatever it is to get out of your head. You can have some questions that prompt yourself. We actually have a daily growth journal to encourage our accelerator members to ask themselves at the end of every day, these four questions. Mm -hmm. Or or sometimes I even have like a yellow note on my phone when I just get ideas. I change it every single month. Just so like, this is always with me, sadly. But that's where all my ideas are always captured. What method do you think you could commit to in terms of understanding why aren't you doing this YouTube channel? When you say method, do you mean writing the documenting method? So for me, I document everything in my notes app. 
everything. And I put ideas, thoughts, and things of that nature. Is there a time of day that you think that you'd be more inclined to make this a practice or not? So you know that you're doing it. So meaning being more intentional about a specific time of day as opposed to doing it. I think you can do both. As you're having ideas, put them somewhere, but I still think it's important. This is actually important. That's where self-awareness is different than reflection, which is like, I call it building a reflection practice, which is self-awareness planning, and then settling your mind. I think it's important to have a moment in the day, even if it's just five minutes, to check in with yourself to be like, did I get any more of these questions answered today? Am I moving forward on this anymore? Did I pick up any other puzzle pieces? And then throughout the day, you might be getting epiphanies and puzzle pieces, put them both down. So two things are happening there. Yeah. But I think it's really important to have a moment every day, say like, this is important to me. I'm going to figure this out. And I'm going to, over the next week, check in at the end of the day for five minutes, say like, what happened here today? I would say, and that would be what I would think is probably the end of the day. I'm going back and forth between beginning of the day or end of the day. The thing I worry about doing at the beginning of the day is much like getting an incoming email. If I start my day doing that, I wonder if I will be more susceptible to misdirecting where my attention goes. But maybe that's not a bad thing, you know? <laughs> maybe it'd be into being a good thing. Who knows? It is true. Sometimes actually I've done free Fridays. I don't, I abandoned my to-do list, everything. And whatever I feel like doing, that's what I do. It's related to work. Whatever I feel like doing, I just do. And I get so much done in those days. I did the exact same thing. In fact, I did Tuesday and I liked it so much. I'm like, I need to do this two days. And starting the new year, I already blocked them as Tuesdays and Fridays, content creation days. Yeah. I'm not taking meetings. I was like, how much did I just accomplish? Because I didn't have like four, five, six, eight meetings in this interview and that. Like it just, you got to be intentional. Is there, now, is there something, is there a ritual as a part of your day that you can combine this new habit at the end of your work day, or do you like go for a quick walk? What do you do? I'm in a mastermind for Think and Grow Rich. So it's basically, I read something that you, you memorize. Basically, mm-hmm. it's like my intention and what my goal is. So it's, you know, it's a short little thing that I read to myself. So maybe just tack it on to that. I'm a big believer of like, when you want to do something new, like what else are you already doing? So you can kind of expand that habit. So you're more likely to do it. And you're like, oh, there's this new thing I'm adding to do it. So you're going to do it. Okay. We've got like what you want to do. You want to like figure out why aren't you doing this YouTube channel? You're going to check in with yourself. You're going to ask yourself a question or just do like quick writing about like what you learned today or how you thought about it. What's your writing prompt or what's the format that you think you might use? I think the second thing you said, which is just kind of like writing about, I could use questions, but I think. Or you could also just say like, what went well today? Right. What went well? Did I move forward today? And if I didn't, why didn't I move forward today? Okay. Just do that. Really simple. I'm all about being super, super simple. And that is to clarify, simplest, hardest, best question you can constantly keep asking yourself to learn about yourself is why. Yeah. Just keep asking why. It's like an onion, right? Just keep peeling, oh. peeling those layers of the onion. And it gets harder and more difficult. You get crankier and more frustrated. It's the deeper you go. Make this a practice. This is what I would say is a self-awareness practice because there's two things that are going to happen. You're going to look at it from a mechanical point of view of like getting this YouTube channel started. But because you're having a focus, you're going to start dealing with there's other mental blocks, emotional blocks in you that maybe you're just not aware of right now or you don't want to see. And that's what's going to start coming out. So a lot of times when we have these actionable projects, which I love, then take the next step of actually like for the next month, I'm just going to like do a YouTube channel. I'm going to produce four videos. And journal about how you feel throughout that process. And that's what it's going to start uncovering your roadblocks or what really energizes you or what drains you. So you find your way. So one of the things like I also want to do more videos. So I first decided that this year I just put them up on LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. I also came out of the television world. You have that issue too about the perfection thing. And totally, dude. Uh, we are still. Like, I'm even looking at my camera. Scary. This is scary how like we are. <laughs> like getting a little bit weirded out about all the commonalities, brother. 
<laughs> but I'm even looking at my video right now in my head. I'll admit it. I'm like, I need something better than this Apple camera right now. It's just too grainy compared to what Billy has. You know what I mean? Like, that's what happens. But what I tell people, and I've just committed, I'm only using an iPhone now. Mm-hmm. I do have an attachment to have better microphone because it's like, I'm not screwing out with the DSLR. I don't want to use Final Cut Pro. I use ScreenFlow. Keep it simple, like you just said. Because I'm not a cinematographer. I'm a coach. If you put all the, well, the thing is, is if you put all the barriers up. That's what it is. If you make it a non-frictionless experience, opposite of frictionless, I have my DSLR, I have every microphone, shotgun. Sell it, sell it. I have all of those things. But what I did this year I'm going to just go as bare bones. I did get the nice, you know, the newer iPhone. Actually, the audio is actually fantastic, better than I thought it would be. And the video is superb. It lowers the barrier of entry so much that I now have produced 160 pieces of content on LinkedIn, a third of which are videos. And I just took all those videos and now I'm having my VA put them on YouTube. I have over a million views on YouTube, but most of it's from my film 10 years ago. So it's like now I'm figuring out ways to lower the bar. I have only two YouTube videos up, (laughs) but one has about 100,000 views. Nice. And I did it as an extra piece of content for the podcast interview. This woman who taught me a tension release exercise, TRE, and I just did a little video like this. I've done it. This is what it looks like. And just with my iPhone, my yoga mat, just boom. And I always remind people like, I just like whip that sucker out. But I remind myself, people are like, They want to be shown something. I think people want humanity again. And also a big part of my brand is like, I don't want to look corporate. I don't want things overproduced and slick because that just reminds me of corporatism. I want to be freaking human. That's right. To your point, they don't want a super polished cinematic experience. I mean, sure, some of those videos might do well, but they want to learn something. They want to grow. Well, they want to feel like Billy's talking to them. Yeah, totally, man. There is one person as a solopreneur you cannot fire. That person is yourself. So- self-management. And I'm a big believer in the word time management, for example, is a misnomer because you can't manage time. Time exists. You have to manage yourself. So let's dive in on this topic. I don't like the word productivity either. Again, productivity, time management. These are words that large organizations, corporations needed and used to run their systems. It works for them. You know, there's no individual humans like working 40 hours a week. That sounds about right. <laughs> no. And I also remind people, this is why I like the word, the term self-management, because that's what we're talking about here is, and I like to do that because I'm pulling out and I'm actually working on a course around this because when we get to productivity, it always just gets reduced to like getting more done in less time. And it always descends into like, let me show you all these new tools. Again, because hard skills are always changing. Those tools are always going to be constantly changing as we keep moving forward. And as all of you keep moving, changing your and building your businesses, I want people to realize your personal resources, you have attention your most limited and valuable personal resource, way more valuable than money. Then energy, then time, then kind of together, come together, but it's like knowledge and connections. And you need to focus your attention using energy at a moment in time to acquire knowledge and build connections to then get money. Mm. Money is just a storage device. It's the funny thing, like you were in sales, like how many times, like I'm sure even your well-willed machine to Tesla was there. It's like, there's always that salesperson who's like looking at the end of their pipeline. being like the money's not coming out and I'm not hitting my goals. And what did you tell them? There's a wide variety of reasons why that could be the case and what what my reaction would be different for the person. So I don't know if I could give you a blank. But generally, at least in my experience, when I used to consult and work with AEs, I'd be like, let's look up at the beginning of this process. 
what's going on with those tests? And nine times out of 10, there was a problem upstream and that's why nothing was coming down. And I always tell people, don't focus at the end, focus on the beginning, right? So what you're saying is look upstream, you're looking at the result, which is the result. Who cares about the results? Focus on your damn habits. The result is a product of something that has happened earlier in the process. I'm with you. I'm tracking with you. One thing I write this to myself every single morning, I write different things that I want to do or be. One thing is I I say, I want to have faith in my habits and not focus on results. Mm. Because then if you focus on results, you try to force it and you never commit to a set of habits or make them better. I'm not saying like I, I have intentions, like I'm always going in a direction where I want things to go and grow. But if you focus things and force them, you will not sustain and maintain that habit and you're really losing out because habits, they're hard to start and take a lot of energy. But once you get them going, it's a really efficient use of your limited energy. Yeah. That's kind of the goal. So with you and, you, and I know you're a huge believer in, especially as an entrepreneur, is bringing habits into the fold. The foundation. It's, yeah. Well, that's what sets you up. You start with your own habits and then that turns into your processes. And this is where you can start building your systems and knowing how to automate things and bringing in other people. Like, as you know, it was like, I do this every day. I'm constantly like, what do I not want to do? And who can I send this to? Or how can I automate it? Or what am I not good at? And I'm constantly trying to do myself out of a job. I've want to write a blog post about how to coach yourself mm-hmm. because you can't, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you don't need to spend $3,000 working one-on-one with a coach, but you don't want to, you can coach yourself. You are fully able to do it. It's kind of like going to the gym versus hiring a personal yeah. trainer, right? You, yeah. you can go to the gym, but some people thrive with a personal trainer. So yeah, it goes back to the self-awareness piece too. Like know yourself. So you have to start realizing, again, time. What's like really a challenged conventional wisdom. People will say like, I'm up 16 hours a day. Like, you know, I got 16 hours to work. No, you don't. When I love when people tell me that they work 10 plus hour days at the office. No, you don't. Like, yeah, you're at the office. Physically. Love to follow you around for a day because I will document how much time you're actually not working. And you really see this when you start working for yourself. Have you found oh. this? Like how much like you said, you're like, I got it done. And you're like, it happened in three hours. You're like, how did that happen? Oh, God, this is a, <laughs> this is a big one. People who work in offices, from my experience, work about 20 to at most 30% of the time. That's just my experience. Absolutely. No, it is because this just shows up in all the research I've done. A human capacity, and I was a history major. I've read a lot of books about habits, like philosophy, all those kind of people. I've interviewed 500 solopreneurs, my own 20 years of experience. You already know the answer to this, but I'm going to ask you anyway. What is your window of time? How many hours a day do you, Billy, really think that you have to do your best mental work? Oh, I'd say like two to three hours maybe. Yeah. The max I've seen is four. And actually, it's very liberating. So when you think of like usually the type A alpha male economic system we live in would be like, I'm going to fix this. I'm going to conquer this. I actually say like, we've been doing that for the last 10,000 years since we started the agricultural revolution. What if we just lived within our nature? What would happen? (laughs) Well, you would enjoy the rest of the time. That's for sure. I only have four hours to get the best stuff done. And what that does is a lot, then back to the self, where I'm going with this whole self-management piece, because a lot of people struggle with managing themselves because they had to work from home for many people for the first time. And I tell people, the first thing you got to do is understand that window of energy for you. When does it happen for you? Like that, I call it the peak performance period. Yeah. For me, what I've realized, I've been thinking a lot about this because frankly speaking, I need to adjust my biorhythm schedule mm. where I'm staying up later than I should be, therefore waking up later than I but should be. But are you be. a night owl? I am a night 
night owl in a lot of ways, but what I've found, I'm not as sharp. I think I do more better writing in the morning. For me, it depends on what I'm doing. So if I'm doing something that's boring task, which maybe I shouldn't be doing those, I should probably be delegating mm-hmm. or automating. I call that productive procrastination. Yeah, yeah. So Work that makes you feel like you're doing work. Exactly. So I'm doing those at night. And in the morning, what I'm starting to do, and which I'm really loving is like work sprint. And I'm actually mm-hmm. working with other people. I learned this from David Burkus, which is he, to write his book, he does this thing, which I freaking love, man. It's like he wrote his book by setting time with other people to write independently, but together. Yeah. And so I'm starting to do that with the writing schedule. And actually with my, I have a YouTube mastermind because it's mostly an accountability group. Mm-hmm. And just this week we agreed to meet to do writing for some of our YouTube scripts. That's another thing that I've been procrastinating. It's like doing writing, but I do my best writing in the morning. And so that's why I want to dedicate that time to do that. Like, And then at the evening time, what I'll do is research podcast guests that I'm going to have on and read books and do procrastination, busy work mm-hmm. that makes me feel like I'm doing something. All of those things, man. I Now I've lost a bit track of where, no, no, no. where we started. By the way, everyone, your amazing host, Billy, just gave you a nice piece of what self-awareness looks like in action. That's it. Like looking at it from all these different ways and feeling it. This is what self-awareness looks like. That's the thing we were all taught to work a certain way. There's actually infinite ways to work. We were actually never taught or encouraged to explore how we wanted to work, how we were going to manage ourselves. So that is a great example of that. I mean, as a starting point to manage yourself is understanding when does that peak performance period happen to you? That's really the building block of your day. You know, for me, I'm also a morning person. By the way, have you ever read Why We Sleep? No, I haven't. Check out that book. Anybody listening, check out that book, especially if you're a person who's been at war with sleep your entire life and you think you can get by in five or six hours, you absolutely can't and you're probably going to die sooner. Yeah, I know that's a little dark, but it's true. It's like backed up by research. I am a huge proponent of sleep and good sleep. I do need to get more sleep than I'm getting now, but when I sleep, at least... I feel like I'm sleeping. My doctor may tell you otherwise. I'm sure that I have had sleep apnea tests and I do have a mild, very mild form of sleep apnea, but I've been instructed to sleep on my side. All right, hold it. Another book for you. It's Breath by James Nestor. I haven't read it, no. Read it. These are the two books. Anybody who's struggling with sleep or breathing, I insist you read. I've actually changed my breathing. Like I tape my mouth every night for the last few weeks because anybody, we should not be breathing out of our mouths. Mm-hmm. Not designed. You should be breathing through your nose. It, it will be very uncomfortable because you're not used to it, but it, it's going to help your whole breathe. Your body will adjust a lot faster than you realize. And now I can like run and walk without ever having my mouth open. It's amazing. It's a great point. I'll check out both of those books because I think there's no reason why I shouldn't sleep better and breathe better regardless of where I'm at today. So we've covered a lot. Go ahead. What were you going to say? No, but I mean, those are those basic building blocks of like how far we've come away. We always think modern life. And yeah, a lot of exciting things have happened, right? But at the same token, we forgot basic things like how to breathe correctly, why you cannot avoid sleep. A lot of times when I'm struggling with a problem, and especially if it's in the afternoon, I know to be like, all right, I say I'm sending it to my back office brain. And in the morning, like in that first hour, because it's a thing, your brain has been processing these different things and will come up with some additional suggestions or maybe even a solution. And that's why like sleep, it's a work activity now. I'm so fascinated by it. Like I almost want to like invent problems to have because I'm like, I can't believe something's going on up there. And I was sleeping. And then in the morning, I wrote it out like you like to write a blog post. Eight o'clock in the morning, flows right out of me. Eight o'clock at night, that's not happening. Yeah, you're solving problems while you're sleeping, to your point. And it is amazing what your brain is doing. Incredible. The rejuvenation. I mean, we could have a whole episode. You mentioned something a minute ago, which is these questions you ask. I just got to know, like, oh, yeah. 
What are the questions that you ask yourself on a daily basis? I'm a big believer in the power of being able to ask ourselves those hard, difficult questions. I just had a guest on the show who rattled off a whole bunch of questions that he asks himself every day. What are those questions you ask yourself every day? And I encourage anybody to starting a business to do this. I call it our daily growth journal because I like prompts in terms of journaling. I'm not a free writer. Did I learn something about myself today? So that's kind of like observant of what's going on. What did I learn? What was good? What wasn't good? Did I learn something new in terms of a skill or knowledge or a concept in terms of building my business? Did I meet somebody new today? Connection. Did I create something today? Actually, the act of doing something. So if you're consistently answering no to those questions, how fast do you think you're going to grow people? <laughs> They're very clarifying, especially somebody who's like two weeks in. Notice you keep answering note about meeting people. If you continue to do your thing without people, that's a hobby. And that's fine if that's what you want. But if you want a business, you're going to have to involve people. So powerful. I love all of those and fantastic insights and takeaways. So last question for you. If you could go back in time and look at 20 year younger version of yourself, because oh, it has been about 20 years, right? I celebrated my entrepreneur birthday this November 7th. Yeah. 2020 was my 20th anniversary. Happy anniversary, my friend. I sent you mine as well. Yes. That was so cool that you asked for that. It's a big day. Yeah, it is, man. We talked about alluded to riches in the niches, which I'm not mm. saying that's what you would say, but I am curious about that. So I'm maybe going to get a two for one here if you do bring that up or if that somehow ties in. But mm. what would you tell your 20 year younger self, especially in light of your entrepreneurial journey, your solopreneur journey mm. and giving yourself some guidance and go as deep or as wide as you feel would be helpful to that younger version of you? My inner voice is jumping up and down. It is so clear the response to this question for oh, me. Beautiful, beautiful. Stop asking for permission. If everybody could actually say that to themselves every single morning and say it to themselves before they drift off to sleep every night, things are going to change. Mm. Our biology is hardwired to seek acceptance. We needed that. It was a survival mechanism thousands of years ago. Unfortunately, we live in a marketing system that hacks at it, proudly preys upon this need for acceptance and makes us all feel like we're not quite enough. So what happens if you just stopped asking for permission for anything that you do? anything. And we do it a lot more than we think. When you used to like have to go off to an office, are those the clothes that you really want to wear all the time? If they are cool, but a lot of you are probably like, no, that is, you're asking for permission. When you ask for time off, you're asking for permission. When you apply for a job because you saw a posting, you're asking for permission. We do it so often. When people ask me like, oh, I need to like go back to school for this, or I need this credential. I'm like, nope, you're asking for permission. Mm. nothing stopping you from doing the thing that you want to do right now with what you've got. Mm. What a way to cap off a truly phenomenal, insightful conversation. I could talk to you for literally hours. I'm going to take a risk here. Usually I ask after the recording, but yeah, yeah. and let yeah, us yeah. know, let Billy's listeners know, and he's going to come over onto my show. So come on over to Life Skills That Matter, find out your podcast app. We're going to like dig into his life, his work. We got to do something together like a live oh, workshop or something. I would love that. Yeah, no, man. I mean, because we have so many similar beliefs. But actually getting people to do something. I love really active workshops. I don't like just talking at people. I like getting people to do stuff. By the way, I'm now live on LinkedIn, so I haven't done anything there. So Ooh, maybe you could be my inaugural. Oh, look at you. Yeah, we could do something <laughs> there, man. And also, I just want to tell people, like, this is what also connection looks like as a lesson. Like, you just be honest. It's kind of like a little bit like dating. When you feel like this connection, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. tell the other person, like, you know what? I think you're awesome. Don't help that. 
And they might be like, eh, okay. It's all varying degrees of whatever it is, but like, just put yourself out there. Dude, I'm so with you. And it starts with self-awareness. It starts with having the ability to be curious throughout your life. And then the connection, those three things, those three pillars that I know are so important in your conviction, the belief system that you have. I don't even know how do you live life without those three things? I don't know. I don't either. Because they are so integral into the fabric of what makes humans human. Connection is what makes us human. It's what makes us happy. We're all starving for it right now. We have to look at ourselves. We have to understand ourselves so that we can learn better, so that we can interact better, so that we can be more curious, so we can work better with others. I mean, all the different things that encompass why self-awareness and being self-observant are so, 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 so valuable. Yeah, so man, I'm so game. Let's make that happen. No lip service. Let's actually do that. And you already said it. So Life Skills That Matter, definitely check out the website. Go to lifeskillsthatmatter.com. And I know you have some special links, which I'll let you share those. On social media, Stephen Worley, that's W-A-R-L-E-Y. That's Twitter. He's on LinkedIn as well. Where else, Stephen, would you think would be the best place for people to learn more from you? By the way, you... I love that energy. My gosh, you're an amazing podcaster. Like people must be off the walls after like listening to your show. So if you're thinking about working for yourself, I want to help you get out of your head. So one of three things generally is probably holding you back. Managing yourself, carving out more time to be able to do this, kind of finding the right idea for you or to start really building that community to really start growing and building your business. So head on over to lifeskillsthatmatter.com slash get started and you can receive any one of those paths, whatever one you think is like the biggest obstacle for you, sign up for a whole bunch of free emails to get you going and we dribble those out over several months. So that's a good place to start. Love it, love it, love it. Go check that out. There will be immense value and knowledge and true heart and passion behind what you experienced because you felt that on this show. I would love to invite you back to be a guest again on this show, but I absolutely can't wait for us to do a collaboration and let's start no, brainstorming. No, I can't wait to have you on my show. I'm like, come on, we, I love it. We have so much stuff to do. Oh, dude, I'm going to be on your show. You're going to come back here. We're going to do our live show. We're going to have like my Billy to-do list. I'm going to keep you busy. You're going to keep me busy. Stephen Worley, thank you for being on For the Love of Podcast. Thank you. Thank you so much, Billy. Thanks for listening to this episode of For the Love of Podcast. I hope you liked it. I hope you got some skills that will help you on your life journey. And I know you might have been expecting an episode about Clubhouse this week. And so I just wanted to let you know that is still coming. Frankly speaking, let me be really, really brutally honest. I have been living on Clubhouse. If you're not familiar with that platform yet, you will be because it's amazing. Check it out. If you have an Apple device, definitely download the app and look for me there. My username is Billy Samoa, and I would love to interact with you on that platform. So stay tuned for my episode all about Clubhouse and what I've learned since joining. It is truly a game changer, and I hope to see you over there. Until next time, please remember everything we do, we do it for the love of podcast.